Alright guys, we kind of wanted to keep it basic. We're going to talk about prayer and then we're going to pray tonight. As we thought through this time, we thought it never hurts to go back to things that are basic and important. And as leaders, it never hurts because as those things become realities in our lives, it's what the next generation needs to see. I was really, really shocked. I sent all the pastors, we're doing this pastor's prayer thing, and I sent them all this self-evaluation of your leadership abilities, and it's online. It's really cool. You, you go, it's kind of interactive. You click all these answers, and then it gives you kind of how you can work on things in your ministry. And there was a negative to it, though. I looked at all the mentoring ones, or we would call it discipleship. They had, are you a good mentor? Are you? Can you mentor other leaders? All these mentorship questions. And this was unreal. Every question in both of the mentoring surveys... Every single question had to do with teaching. Do you teach from the Word? Do they understand what you're teaching? Do they also ask questions when you're teaching? Do they think you're approachable about questions that they might have? This is all of it. They had nothing about, do you model it for them? Do you take them out and, and share your faith together? Uh, what do they see in your life? There was no action. It was all teaching. So I was going, this is crazy. But as leaders, I think that our lives are what get reproduced into the next generation. That's why it never hurts us as leaders to go back to things like prayer. And I know for me, it's kind of like eating. It's always nutritious, it's always good, and it's never bad for me, so I like to hear it. But I want to start with this phenomenal quote by John Harden. You guys have all heard me share this. It says, those who do not believe do not pray. This is a good functional definition of faith. Faith prays, unbelief does not. Unreal, but I think it's so true. So how should we pray, guys? Let's follow Jesus' example. Luke 5 and 6 talked about Jesus getting away and praying. Uh, this was what he modeled for us. And I wanted to start by reading in Matthew 6. So why don't you guys turn there if you have it. And let's look at verses 5 through 13. When you're thinking about, hmm, what should we talk about prayer? Jesus definitely kind of told us a little bit about that. Everybody there? Justin, you want to read that? Sure. <clears throat> and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yeah. So Jesus is telling us it's not about our words the quality or quantity of them. It's not about our style or presentation. But he gives us a format. And how many of you guys have heard the Acts? You guys ever hear this? Any of you guys remember it? Adoration. Okay, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I think this is awesome when we pray. Coming to God with a heart of praise. Coming to him confessing any known sin. Coming to him in thankfulness. And asking him to work in our lives, in ministries, in all these different areas, directed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18, guys, talks about prayer directed by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, because it talks about thoughtful and intelligent prayer directed by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just say pray meaninglessly, 
but it says pray on all occasions for different things and requests, being consistent and alert and thoughtful, basically alert, with the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of the thing. I'm going to be talking a little bit about prayer being me working together with God. And it goes right back to this right here in Ephesians 6.18. What's happening is I'm doing my part, right? I have different kinds of things I'm praying for. I'm being alert in my prayer. I'm being thoughtful in my prayer. But at the same time, I'm allowing him to direct me and guide me as I pray. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how the Holy Spirit guides our thinking. Right? I am insufficient to just think on my own of what needs to be prayed for. In Romans 8.26, it tells me that that I don't even know what to pray for. But see, he does. And as I allow him to control and to, to guide my thinking, he is illuminating what, or he's showing me what needs to be prayed for. And then giving me the power to pray the way that I need to pray. I don't know about you guys, but for me, prayer has been a constant struggle. It goes in waves. Have you guys ever seen this cycle? I remember times where I'd get strong. My senior year of college was good. I was getting like an hour a day and just in prayer. And then our first year of marriage, it wasn't so good. It's kind of like, you know, maybe 10, 20 minutes a day of prayer, get some time in the Word. But you have to kind of fight to be able to have a strong prayer life, I think. The same with, with with God's word, but it's more with prayer. Does that make sense? I can just pick out, get out the Bible and read and write in my journal. But to be consistent in prayer takes a lot of self-discipline. And when I think about that, I think about 1 Peter 5.8 about being alert and self-controlled. This is an actual focus of my attention. When I start to pray, I don't know about you guys, but about everything in the world starts to come into my head. And if I don't control it, I can start thinking for two hours or three hours. You know, literally, we have a lot of time before we come to campus, and I wake up usually at 5.30. So, and usually I start to pray before I read the Bible. There have been some days where I start to pray at like 6 a.m., and literally at 9 o'clock, I'm just daydreaming, and it hits me. Holy cow, you just burned like three straight hours just daydreaming. You know what I mean? Like, how did that happen? Uh, it's so easy for us to get into that boat, right? And I think if we ever want to be consistent in our prayer lives, we have to learn how to be self-controlled and alert in our thinking. And I, I, I think for me, it's a battle I'm going to have to fight every single day that I pray for the rest of my life. I can't just ever assume that I'm over that battle. So if, if we look at Ephesians 6, what was he talking about before he hit this issue of prayer, guys? What came in the seven or eight verses before that? Remember? Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Yeah, it's talking about the battle. And it's talking about the armor of God and taking a stand. When you guys think of doing ministry, you're in a battle. Whether you know it or not, you're in a battle. There's never going to be a time in your life where you're not in the battle. Either you're fighting the battle or you're losing the battle. That's all there is to it. So as you're in this battle, and specifically, guys, as you're leading this ministry for the rest of the semester, the context of the spiritual battle is prayer. And if you're missing the boat with prayer, you're going to miss the battle. And the battle is not going to happen the right way. Does that make sense? But I want to leave you guys with a conviction that the best thing you can do in the next six weeks after spring break is be praying consistently for the students that are in the ministry, for the things going on, for evangelism, for all this stuff. Because that's where you guys are going to win the battle. So how do I pray again? Be faithful in prayer. Romans 12.12 12. Remain in him, pray in his name, and according to his will, and he will answer. You guys, so I pray according to his will. Pray for each other, and don't forget to pray. You guys need each other on this team, and if you're not praying for each other, you're dead in the water. I know that we're going to be praying for you guys, but you guys be praying for each other as leaders on the campus. 
Uh, so pray for other students, but specifically pray for each other. Ephesians 1.15 through 16 gives us something very practical, I think. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So what does it take not to forget people in prayer? Any of you guys have a mind that doesn't forget people? Did I tell you guys this story? I've been using a prayer list, and I, I, this is one of my key verses for using a prayer list. I want to encourage you with that. If you don't have a list that you pray through every day, uh, get one. It's not unspiritual. On the flip side of the coin, even Paul is saying, here, look, I don't, I don't forget you in my prayers. And I don't know what it takes for you, but for me, to not forget people in prayer means I have to have a list. And a funny example was last year. I like to tell people that I'm praying for them. And I think all of you guys should do that, too. But I told Riley one day, hey, Riley, I've been praying for you. And then as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I can't remember the last time I prayed for Riley. That's weird. So I go home and I look at my list. Riley's not on my list. Somehow when I had written the names down, I forgot to put them on there. And I had just been forgetting to pray for him. That's how my mind works. I need to have something that physically reminds me to be praying. All you guys are on that list. And if you weren't on that list, I probably wouldn't pray for you. Uh, not because I don't want to, but because my mind is incapable of remembering it. So I would encourage you guys to have a list. And C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the older I get, the longer my prayer list gets. And I think that's true. The more you start to pray for people, the more you want to pray for people, and the more people you want to end up praying for. And so the longer that list begins growing. You guys, I want this to hit home. First Samuel 12:23, Samuel says, Far be it for me that I would sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. This is something that God's really convicted me about lately, is if I don't pray for you, Mark, today, I'm sinning against God. Isn't that insane? I never used to think about it that way. I thought, oh, I didn't get a chance to pray for Mark, too bad. You know, I'm heading off to campus. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> You're right. It, it started hitting me this year. This isn't just like a flippant little, oh, I forgot. This is, I'm sinning against God. This is tantamount to cussing at Aaron or something like that, right? This isn't just some little white lie or some little sin. This is this is significant in God's eyes. So what I've started doing, and I would encourage you guys to do because it changes our heart, is I've started confessing when I don't pray as sin. I've started confessing as sin when I when I neglect to pray for different people that God has put around me in my sphere of influence. And what that does is it really, I think, gives me God's heart about prayer. Pray in agreement with other believers, Matthew 8, 9, 18, 19. Pray with the heart and attitude of humility and repentance. This is Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. Kaylee read that at the half night of prayer. Pray persistently regardless of results, guys. Results are not what we're after. Remember the story of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Pray honestly from the heart. Remember David's example through the Psalms? David's like, God, why have you forsaken me? How long are you going to forget me? When are you going to destroy all my enemies? You know, I mean, this is none of these things that David is saying are things that you would expect to hear from a man of God, right? <laughs> God's not going to forsake you, dude. God didn't forget you. You're supposed to forgive your enemies and love your enemies. And, and what David's doing and what he's modeling for us in, in the Psalms is he's being 100% honest with God. This is where I'm coming from. This is how I feel. God doesn't want me to sugarcoat what I'm telling him because I think it's spiritual. He wants me to just be bare honest with him, casting my anxiety on him. 1 Peter 5, 7, right? Pray with thankfulness, guys, it says in Philippians 4. Pray that his will would be done. He says in the Lord's Prayer, which we read a minute ago, 
Uh, remember what his will is, that, that the lost would be found and brought to him. Pray for laborers for the harvest, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. I love this too, guys. You get to answer your own prayer on this one. I think this is about the only time in the Bible where we can answer our own prayer. <laughs> does that make sense? Usually God does, and in this case, hopefully he does more often than we do. But I can pray for God to send laborers to the harvest, and then I can be a laborer in the harvest. That to me is so cool. Pray continually, First Thessalonians 5.17. Okay, Justin, this is... Uh, Pre-marriage 101 here. If you fail this, you're in big trouble. (laughs) The question is, how much of the day should you have an open line of communication with Mikkel? Am I supposed to answer that honestly? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's all on the line here. Well, he put the word should. Should. Not do. (laughs) Yeah. Until your phone battery dies. Honestly, I think this is what it's getting at. Constantly throughout the day, my mind is on Christ. He's in control. Christ is on the throne, right? The throne check. And I'm constantly in this attitude of communication with God. Paul's not telling me to physically be praying 24-7. But what he's telling me is throughout my day, he's the first one I go to. Oh, there's this conversation I find myself in. I'm going to pray right now in my head. Oh, I see Justin over there sharing his faith. I'm going to pray for Justin. Oh, so-and-so is up in front of everybody doing their testimony. I'm going to pray for that person. I have this constant attitude of prayer going between me and God for what's happening around me and for the believers around me. I think if you guys have that attitude the rest of this semester, you're going to win on campus. The rest of your lives, preferably. But this semester, you guys are going to win as a team as you're praying for each other constantly. Like Chris was talking about as a body, Eliana's praying right now. I can't wait to get to heaven and see all the people that you were praying for in that class, all the people that you passed and prayed for as you passed them that you never met. Find out what, what little thought did God trigger in their head right as you were praying. You know what kind, of, what kind of person did they get into a conversation with the next moment? You guys remember this guy, Jesse? He moved back here, and he came to my house for dinner last year for Thursday night dinner. You guys hear this story? Okay, I have a, a cousin that doesn't know Christ, and... So I pray for my cousin every single day, and when I pray for him, I specifically pray, God, put somebody in his life that will share with him. He's probably the closest relative I have. I love him a ton. And Jesse walks in. He goes, wait a minute, what's your last name? I said, Herbst. He goes, no kidding. I used to work with a guy who had a cousin in Durango named Nate Herbst. Is he your cousin? I said, yeah, he is my cousin. And he goes, no kidding. He goes, guess what, dude? I used to share with that kid every day at work. All the time I would share with that guy. I looked at Jesse and I said, you have been an answer to my prayer. <laughs> I said, I don't know how many times we get to see this answer. We, we might never get to, but it's happening, right? So I would encourage you, all those prayers, man, even when we don't see them answered, God is answering them all around us. So pray continually, pray continually. So what should you pray for? Have you guys ever wondered why the Bible doesn't tell you to pray for non-Christians to be saved? We, we heard this. This one pastor gave a terrible talk about that at one point. He got up and he goes, Russ wanted me to talk about why we're supposed to pray for the lost, but I can't find it in the Bible, so I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about so much. And then he went into a bunch of other stuff. Remember that, Russ? The deal is, guys, is I think there's a lot the Bible doesn't tell me to pray for because the point is not adherence to rules. 
the point is fellowship with God, right? <laughs> if, if Russ said, Nate, you're supposed to talk to Aaron like this, and he told me all the sentences I'm supposed to tell Aaron and all the topics we have to talk about, Aaron and I would not have a very valid relationship. I'd just be reading her what Russ had, right? And I think the reason the Bible doesn't say you have to pray for this, you have to pray for that, you have to pray for that, is because God is giving me freedom to come to him and pray according to his will, according to what's going on in my life. I know his will is for the lost to be saved. So when he tells me to pray according to his will, I know that I can pray for the lost. Does that make sense? Scripture does not set up this structure that we have to lock ourselves into. I think intentionally God gave us prayer in, in a big context of freedom to develop relationship and fellowship with him. Uh, that was the whole point. So we have freedom in prayer. And the point is fellowship. It's not adherence. The object of prayer is not the point of prayer. The fellowship is. A lot of times I believe the lie, I'm praying for Mark. Mark is the reason I'm praying. It's like, no, no, no. I'm praying for Mark to get closer to God. <laughs> right? For me to get closer to God. The object of prayer is not the point of prayer. The fellowship is, when I pray, guys, John 16:24, my joy is made complete in him. When I pray, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, his peace is made surpassing in me. See, as I pray, he's doing the work in my life. And he's going to do what he needs to do with Mark, you know. But I, I'm pretty sure he'd do that regardless of whether I prayed or not. The point is, he's given me this opportunity to be faithful with something and to co-labor with him. He's already working in Mark's, I'm just picking on Mark. He's already working in Mark's life. It's not like if I fail to pray, the Holy Spirit quits working in Mark today, right? But as the Holy Spirit's working in Mark, I get to co-labor with the Holy Spirit working with Mark. And when I pray for Hetty, I get to co-labor with the Holy Spirit. He's the one doing the work, but I'm kind of like the little kid tagging along with his dad, right? Going, I get to be a part of this work that you're doing in somebody's life. This is awesome. But what's happening all along is I'm getting closer to God, and that's the real point of the prayer. Mark 6.31, prayer recharges me. Listen to what Jesus says. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You guys ever felt like that? Kaylee, you feel like that very often in this school now? People are racing around you. Things are happening. This is the leadership lifestyle. Things are going full tilt. you got 19 classes. You have a job. And you have a million people. Bill Hybels wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray. And that's the real deal, is even when life gets busy, the fastest thing to go is usually our prayer life, when that's the thing that we need more than anything else. Because that is what's recharging me at my core, to be who I need to be for that busy life. When we're going to be traveling around the country and talking to all these potential supporters and all this, Russ and I, I think we're going to have a personal commitment. We'll probably hold each other accountable to this, too to be spending tons of time in prayer concerning this lodge, concerning each other. I want to be praying for Russ when I know he's having appointments, and I know when I go in to ask some guy for a hundred grand, I want Russ praying for me so I don't pass out, you know, and look like a fool. So you guys, we're too busy not to pray. That's really the situation as leaders. Prayer is not a means to an end. The end when not realized yields frustration, anxiety, doubt, and a lack of peace. If you've ever viewed prayer as, I have to pray so that something will happen, that's the wrong way to view prayer. The second I start viewing prayer like that, I'm putting it into my expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, I feel unsatisfied. I feel like God should have done something different. Does that make sense? I've been there. God, how could that happen? 
prayer is not micromanaging the universe. That's how a lot of control freaks view prayer. That's how I viewed prayer for many years. Oh, gosh, I better pray for all these people so that, that their lives go right, you know? I better pray for my parents' health so they don't get sick. I better pray for my parents' finances so they don't get poor. I felt like I was in charge of the universe through prayer. And that's wrong. That locks me in bondage. And God wants me to have freedom. Where I can say, God, I'm going to pray for all these things. But again, the point is not those things. It's my relationship with you, God, and my fellowship with you. So God does answer prayer, but those answers are in areas he's already intended to work. It's not like when I go, God, provide for my dad. God's like, oh. Why didn't I think of that? I'm glad you're on top of it, Nate. Okay, I'm going to provide for your dad now, you know. God already fully intended to provide for my dad, but he was looking for somebody to co-labor with him in that, to say, I'm going to join you in seeking you for this. I think it's so good to look at our relationship with God and compare it to human relationships. If I looked at Aaron and said, everything that I talk to Aaron about is just about what has to be accomplished. Aaron, do the dishes. Aaron, go, go shopping. Aaron, change that diaper. Aaron, will you please give me some water? If that was my communication with Aaron, our relationship would be on the rocks. <laughs> There's so much more to co- communication and conversation than just uh, asking her to accomplish things. But sometimes I view God that way. Like prayer is just this litany of things that I ask God for. And I almost divorce the God that I love from the things I'm asking him for. And that's where I really have come to the conviction in my life that the object of prayer is not the point of prayer. The fellowship with God is the point of prayer. And the object of prayer is just an opportunity for me to grow closer to God <laughs> and to be a part of the work that he's doing in that situation. And, and I get to share in the rewards. How cool is that, right? Wow, I, I pray. Now I get to share in the rewards for what God's doing. It's kind of like I didn't have to do that much, but it's kind of cool. I'll take it. So when I, when I pray, I'm laboring together with him, focusing on what is close to his heart, like Kaylee said, and that yields intimate fellowship with him. See, if, if I'm not ever focusing on what's important to him, when you, in a married couple, Justin and Mikkel, when you guys get married, you'll, you'll find this out. Angie, oh, perfect example. <coughs> when, when you go to this wrestling conference with your husband, it's probably not something that you've dreamt about for years. But you're doing something that's close to his heart. <laughs> and I get to see him in his element. Yeah. And this <laughs> that's is why I'm excited. Exactly. Like crazy about <laughs> See, and it's building your relationship together. And I promise you, you will never in probably never in a million years be more attractive to and more exciting to your husband. And, and I don't think that he'll be more in love with you than when you're doing something like that with him. As silly as it might seem, it's close to his heart. And when you're doing it together, that's awesome. And it's yeah. the same with God. I think when I'm praying for something that God is working on, it's like God is just right there with me. When I pray, I think that fellowship is intimately growing. So you guys, 1 Corinthians 3.9 talks about how we are co-laborers with Christ. We're working together with him. And specifically, that involves a lot of different areas, but we're talking about in prayer. So even though I'm co-laboring with God, it still means prayer is powerful. Even though the point is fellowship, it doesn't mean prayer doesn't have power. And this is, uh, this is pretty awesome. I get to help God by co-laboring with him. In Judges 5.23, it says, Curse Meraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord to help the Lord against the mighty. Isn't that insane? I mean, God was capable of destroying the mighty on his own, right? It's not like God was going, oh, I can't do it unless they come and help me. But here it's saying, curse these guys because they wouldn't help God. 
right? And see, the same thing. God can accomplish what he wants with or without me, but he is inviting me to be a part of what he desires to do. In Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. I hope that this is like your theme verse for the next six weeks. But you guys, there's something implicit in that verse. That's that the laborers still labor. (laughs) The Lord has to build the house, but we still have to labor. (laughs) We don't quit laboring and expect him to do the work. We're laboring together with him. He's doing the big work, but I'm laboring with him. Uh, It's impossible to co-labor with God and not see results. That's why prayer is powerful. As I co-labor with God, he does great things. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.10, Paul said, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us, and on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. The Corinthians' prayers were helping him along with God. Okay, now get this, guys. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The word for effective there in the Greek is energeo, which is where we get the word energy from. So what it's literally saying is your prayer is energetic, okay, and that it accomplishes much. Does that make sense? It's translated as an adjective here, an effective prayer. Does that make sense? But in the Greek, it's not an adjective. It's a verb saying that it, it accomplishes much. It powerfully accomplishes much. Does that make sense? So there's a lot that's happening as we pray. It's not just a passive thing, but it's action-oriented. There's no such thing as weak prayer. C.S. Lewis put it this way, Emotional intensity is in itself no proof for spiritual depth. If we pray in terror, we shall pray earnestly. It only proves that terror is an earnest emotion. Only God himself can let the bucket down to the depths in us. And what he's getting at here is it it really doesn't matter how I pray. I've actually had pastors pull me aside and say, "Um, Nate, you weren't loud enough at prayer today. Uh, It just seemed like you were a little bit quiet, maybe. This wasn't in Durango. This is years ago. (laughs) And I was, I felt like, no, I'm such an immature Christian. Like, this is bad. I've got to get over this. This is how I felt at the time, you know? I felt like, yeah, if I want to pray right, I better be fervent, okay? And what the Bible is telling me is, no, there's no such thing as weak prayer. You know, some humble little lady praying with really pathetic words and not making nice sentences and barely getting the words out is accomplishing just as much as somebody with the most flowery and loud voice. Prayer is, is not weak. When I pray, God accomplishes what he desires to accomplish. It's just, it's just so amazing, guys, what we get to do with prayer. Okay, prayer does not change God's mind nor force his hand. Both would undermine his deity. Prayer does not change God's mind or force his hand. You guys, I, don't, I thank God that I can't change his mind by praying. Thank God I can't make him do something. A lot of Christians have this mentality. I just need to pray enough because then God will do it. And this is not at all what God wants from me. God wants me to humbly come to him with a heart of repentance and a desire to fellowship with him, co-laboring with him as the boss. <laughs> He's the boss. I'm the employee, so to say. Uh, in Jeremiah 15.1, God says, Even if Moses and Samuel, these guys are prayer warriors, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my heart would not go out for these people. See, he's saying, look, my heart is not going to change based on what people are praying. And there are stories that seem to say that, like in Genesis 18, Abraham pleads with God, you know, uh, if I can find 50 righteous men, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. He's going through all this. God's intention all along was Abraham, right? God wanted Abraham's heart to break for these people, and he wanted to develop in Abraham his heart, the same heart that he had for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's going through, of course I'm not going to destroy this people if there are 50 righteous. Of course I won't if there are 30. Of course I won't if there are 10. 
all along, God knows there aren't ten righteous there, and I'm going to have to destroy this place. He was going for Abraham's heart. And see, as Abraham was praying, his heart was being transformed more towards Christ's heart. And his fellowship with God was growing. In Psalm 106, it says, So he said he would not destroy him, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Right? So it sounds a lot like that, but here's the deal. God's will all along was for Moses to stand in the breach. God wasn't looking for somebody to change his mind. Like, God's not going, oh, Moses had it right. I was wrong. (laughs) You know, God's going, is there somebody that loves these people enough to stand up and pray like mad? Mm-hmm. And there was. That was God's that was God's heart. So prayer is not passive. Prayer equals action and it must be accompanied by action. I pray and I act. It's like what you were saying was it was maybe Hetty or Kaylee? When I pray I get God's heart for the lost around me. Second Chronicles thirty one twenty one. Hezekiah it says about Hezekiah, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly and so he prospered. See, we combined prayer with action. He was seeking God, then he was working with hundred percent of all of his abilities. And then he prospered, and God blessed him. And this is what I want to encourage you guys with. Pray like mad the rest of the semester, okay? And then trust God and work wholeheartedly with every bit of talent and energy he's given you. So pray like mad and work like mad, and then God's going to bless you and you're going to prosper. And the people under you are also going to prosper. The power in prayer is not the prayer itself. The power in prayer is God. The power of prayer isn't how I pray or any of this, like we've said. Andrew Murray rightly articulated this, saying, Do you not realize that time is needed, much time in fellowship with the Father and the Son, if you would experience the power of God within you? You guys remember the story from uh, Georgia a couple years ago? Governor Sonny Perdue, they've been in this terrible drought, and he, he calls this prayer meeting on the Capitol steps. And as they pray, the very next day, they get an inch of rain. I think God all along wanted it to rain, And God was waiting for that one man that was willing to say, I'm going to take this stand in prayer, even in a politically incorrect type of way. And remember in James 5, 17 through 18, that's what Elijah did, right? It says that it didn't rain, and then he prayed, and then it rained. (laughs) Same same as uh, Governor Sonny Perdue. The deal is, guys, is there's power in prayer because of the God that I'm having fellowship with, not because of my prayer. But still, I'm called to prayer to experience that power. And if I don't pray, I don't experience that power. So how does this relate to the Great Commission, guys? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, right? Remember that we first talked to God about people, and then we talked to people about God. Now here's the deal. The fulfillment of the Great Commission is what we call revival, right? <laughs> if, if everybody on our campus got discipled and came to Christ and they all became spiritual multipliers, I would say, wow, that was a revival. <laughs> Different contexts go with that word. But I think we could agree that's what it would be. Now, here's the deal. I think I've thought, and probably a lot of you guys have too, when is God going to start a revival? When is God going to do something huge, right? Have you guys ever thought this thought? Here's what I want to encourage you with, guys. The Great Awakenings, D.L. Moody's ministry, the Welsh revival, and pretty much every revival in history, including in Acts. Look at Acts 1. They're praying together. Look at Acts 2. God's bringing thousands into their number. This is just radical. So all these great revivals were founded in prayer. Now, here's the deal. Revival doesn't happen because we pray, and then God finally decides to move. And that's what a lot of people, I think, think about prayer. God's like, oh, they're praying. Okay, I guess I'll start a revival, you know. It's not like he's lazy and he needs me to motivate him. (laughs) What happens is when I start to pray, I become the person that I need to be for God to do a revival. See, a revival is imminent always. Does that make sense? 
God isn't waiting. God's not being lazy. God, is, I don't have to nudge God to do a revival in, at Fort Lewis. God's waiting for me to become who he needs me to be to reach Fort Lewis. And as I pray and as you guys pray and as the rest of our students pray, we, through that fellowship with God, get transformed into who he wants us to be to reach that campus. That's when we see revival. So who's in charge of when revivals happen? Sounds sacrilegious to say it, but who is it? Kind of us. I think God is ready, always. God is ready and waiting. He's not going, I don't want all these people to get saved, guys. Are you sure? What are you talking about? I mean, this is this is like God's passion and heartbeat. He wants this every day. And I think we start thinking, oh, I've talked to even leaders that say this, like, when is there going to be a revival? You know, I hope we see it in our lifetimes. And we come up with this false idea of God that he's like this militant, angry guy that doesn't want people to get saved. I don't want a revival. You can't make me, you know. And I better pray and nudge him, and if I annoy him enough, he'll, he'll start a revival. It's like, no, guys. As we earnestly seek God in prayer, we become who God needs us to be for revival to happen. And that's what I really want to encourage you with, is as you finish out this semester... You want to see God blow down walls at Fort Lewis? It goes back to you guys being warriors in prayer and being prayer warriors. Because as you do that, you become who God wants you to be to reach that campus. Revival stems from prayer, not as a direct result of our prayers, but as a result of the fellowship with God and surrender to him that those prayers are based in. I honestly believe that. So revival is always imminent, right? As I draw near to him, he's ready to do it. When Christians begin drawing near to him, he starts to do huge things. John Wesley said, light yourself on fire and people will come from miles around to see you burn. When I saw Mark standing on a bench yelling at people, in <laughs> the good way, people wanted to come see, right? People are going, holy cow, what in the world is this kid doing? Light yourself on fire and people are going to come from miles around to watch you burn. That's the deal. When I get sold out for Christ and that is based in a life of prayer, the revival burns. Otherwise it doesn't. So real leaders pray. I want to leave you guys with this. Leadership, integrity, and competency ride on prayer. If you're not praying, you're not a leader. And so I want to encourage you guys to commit to a lifestyle of prayer. Remember Mark 6.31 again. Get away with me. Get away with me to a quiet place. That's what, what Christ wants from each of us. When we talked to this missionary in Afghanistan, Austin asked him, so how often do you pray with your team in Afghanistan? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, we pray every day. He goes, like, how, how often? He goes, well, as a team, we pray for an hour every single day. And he goes, how could you, how could you do ministry without praying? <laughs> and we're going, exactly, but it um, doesn't happen in America, <laughs> okay? But see, there they, I mean, the guy could get killed tomorrow, <laughs> and all of his converts could get killed tomorrow, and they could all get killed together tomorrow. And then they could find their contact info and kill everybody they're related to tomorrow. They realize we're dependent on God. We better be praying. And we're just as dependent on God. And sometimes because it's so comfortable here, we don't notice it. So as leaders, though, we have to pray. Going back to what Samuel said, far be it from me that I would sin against God by failing to pray for you. I want to encourage you guys, don't sin against God by failing to pray for each other and for the students. Even the lowliest students, guys, like, hate to use names. I'll use a name. And by lowly, I don't mean inferior. I just mean that she wasn't very involved in our ministry. Remember McKenna? Little McKenna, she came a few times to connect. At the beginning of the semester, I said, McKenna, I'm still praying for you every day. You know, like, how are you doing? And she's just like, God radically uh, 
got a hold of me over Christmas break. And to me, it was so encouraging. I so many times was tempted to quit praying for McKenna. You know who else I've been praying for since the beginning of, of the school year? Uh, we met her at a connect table. I never met her until like three weeks ago. Okay, Emma. Pretty much every day I was praying for Emma. I didn't even know what she looked like. You guys, I just remember there's this girl that we met, said she's a Christian on campus. I'm going to be faithful to pray for her. I'm not going to sin against God by failing to pray for her. Golly, I'm not saying that my prayer got her plugged in and now she's going with God. God's the one doing the work in her in her life. But you know how encouraging it is for me to go, I got to co-labor with God in working in Emma's life. And now you're co-laboring with God. And you got the, the Facebook from Aaron. Mm-hmm. And Emma was like thrilled to death that Angie would want to meet with her. And so anyway, this is a great story, you guys. But we get to co-labor with God in these great stories, both by actively doing the action like Hezekiah. He sought God and he worked. We get to do the work, but we also get to do the seeking God. Um, so this is this huge conglomeration. Guys, in Acts 6-4, they put it like this. The apostles said, we will give our intention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the ministry of the word there had two different aspects. It was evangelism, and it was teaching God's word. Okay, And the teaching God's word dealt a lot with discipleship stuff. So they said, we're going to do evangelism, discipleship, and prayer. <laughs> it's a pretty good ministry, right? So that's what we're limiting our ministry to. We're going to pray and do evangelism. We're going to do discipleship. In Jeremiah 10.21, it talks about leaders that don't pray for their people. Get this. It says, when leaders are senseless, it says, it literally uses that word. When leaders are senseless and don't inquire of the Lord, it says, they fail and their flocks are scattered. And because they don't care, it says, they trample down God's work, making it a desolate and parched wasteland. That's crazy, huh? And he's saying this is what happens when when leaders that are leading groups of people do not seek the Lord and inquire of the Lord. And so I think as we're praying, when when I'm not seeking the Lord for the people God's entrusted to me, I'm literally trampling down God's work, and I'm making it a desolate wasteland. That's what's at stake here. In Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, it said he was always wrestling in prayer for the people that God entrusted to him. There are two aspects to this. One was the always part. He didn't give up. It's not like he said, I'm going to pray for those people once every two months. He was always praying for them, praying continually again. The second part was the wrestling in prayer. And the word wrestling there was agonizomai. Okay? And it literally meant, now get this, tell me if this resembles our prayer lives, to enter a contest, to compete in the Olympic Games, to contend with adversaries, to fight and struggle with difficulties and dangers, to endeavor with zeal, and to strive to attain something. Isn't that awesome? That's what he was doing for people in prayer. Paul said, join with me in in my struggle by praying for me. He was talking about the same thing. Get dirty with it, like Mark talked about it, connect a while back. Get dirty in prayer. You know, when when the people you're discipling are struggling with something, pray like mad with them for it. Pray like mad when you're apart from them for it. And then tell them that you're praying for it. This is the greatest thing you guys can do as leaders. Tell people you're praying for them. Maybe not the greatest thing you can do as leaders. This is a good thing you can do as leaders. Tell people that you're praying for them. Because when somebody hears, Aaron Mulcair is praying for me, I think in her mind, you just earn loads of credibility, you know. And beyond just the credibility factor you also just showed them that you really care and and that you're willing to invest in their lives. Okay, so Jesus said in in Mark 14, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is hard. 
right? I want to do it, but it's hard. I need to be self-disciplined. I need to control myself and get in, into uh, prayer. C.S. Lewis, and I love this quote. He said, The disquieting thing is not simply that we skimp and begrudge the duty of prayer. The really disquieting thing is that it should have to be numbered among duties at all. Is that it would be numbered among duties at all. For we believe that we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if the few, the very few minutes we now spend in discourse with God are a burden to us rather than a delight, what then? <laughs> just, I read that and I just about want to cry because it's so easy to see prayer as a duty. And C.S. Lewis is saying if you, if you see it as a duty and not a delight, eternity is going to suck. <laughs> this is literally what he's saying. We believe that we're intended to spend eternity in communication and, and fellowship with God. How in the world could we not see it as a delight here on this planet? Basically, guys, it goes back to my heart like everything else. I need to have a heart for prayer. I need to have a heart to want to pray in the first place. So here's the million-dollar question. How do I develop a heart for prayer? And the answer is I develop a heart for prayer by praying, <laughs> right? The more I pray, the more I want to pray. The less I pray, the more I begrudge it as a duty. And honestly, if I don't have a long time in prayer every morning, I feel empty, naked. I don't know what you want to call it the rest of the day. I feel... I feel uh, cheated. I feel like I'm missing something that day, you know? And then I know those times I'll get the next day and I'll spend tons of time in prayer and in the Word. And I, the rest of the day I'm just full to the brim and overflowing. See, that time with God, I need it so desperately. So I, I get a heart for prayer by praying. And I get a heart for prayer, guys, by confessing as sin when I fail to pray. Right? With anything in my life, when I repent and start to see it God's way, uh, it gives me God's heart. And so when I realize, hey, I didn't pray for Justin today, <laughs> okay? And then I say, God, forgive me for not praying for Justin today. That starts to build my heart, my intrinsic motivation to pray for you tomorrow. And I know that there are days when I don't pray for any of you guys in here. And as I confess that as sin, holy cow, the next day I have a huge heart to pray, right? Because God is developing that heart in me. So I wanted to leave you with a verse. Colossians 4.2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. And I thought, as you guys think, what are we going to do for the rest of this semester? I want to encourage you, uh, devote yourselves to prayer. Make this the, the strongest semester of prayer <laughs> that's ever happened in your life. And take that time. I don't know if you need to make a list or whatever. You know what you need to do to remember. So just do whatever it takes to remember who you need to pray for. And pray for the people that you know that you need to pray for and co-labor with God in prayer, and watch him work powerfully as you co-labor with him in prayer, and watch your own fellowship with God grow intimate as you co-labor with him in prayer.